and what I want to do this morning is uh, start big picture global and then bring it down to, to this church and what we're doing, what we're doing here. And I want to say on the front end that I'm not a politician, I'm not a political analyst, I'm not an expert on the Middle East. I'm a minister, I'm a person of faith, that is the lens, that is the perspective I bring to the world around me. And so, when I look at the world around me, it has been nearly 10 years where people have said 9-11 was the day that everything changed in this country around the world. Before that, it was the end of apartheid in South Africa, or maybe the fall of the Berlin Wall. When that wall came down, there was a sense of things are different now, things are changing. Or when the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, collapsed. There is no doubt each of those were significant events. But what is happening right now, this global grassroots uprising, this almost entirely peaceful global grassroots uprising that's unfolding in Egypt and Tunisia and Bahrain and dozens of other places around the Middle East, it is unprecedented. There are regimes that have been in place for decades that are falling in weeks. And the culture of fear and intimidation is lessening its hold. Many have given their lives to these causes, and it is not clear to me at all how this will unfold, how those remnants of the old power guard will move back into power and take control. I don't know how it will unfold, but the people... The people have tasted freedom, and they are moving toward a new day filled with hope. What's unfolding in Egypt and Tunisia and Libya and Jordan and a half a dozen other places, it is an ancient story. What's unfolding is an ancient story, but on a scale that we have not seen before. It is a story about liberation on a massive scale. You know this ancient story. You know the story of Moses saying to Pharaoh, let my people go. You know the story of Mahatma Gandhi and the people of India peacefully and nonviolently standing up to British rule. It's the story of civil rights marchers facing dogs and water hoses and state-sanctioned violence singing and saying, we shall overcome. It is Maryland and Hawaii saying, yes, all people gay and lesbian deserve the right to marry, to be with the person they love. It is a story of liberation, a story about people being compelled compelled by something they can barely name, can hardly point to, and yet grabs them, grabs them, forces them, compels them to rise up, to rally, to risk nearly everything because the old ways can no longer work. And it is a virus that is spreading across the globe right now. I have no doubt in my heart or mind that what's happening in Wisconsin is inspired in part by what's happening in the Middle East. That what's happening next door is inspired by the millions of people in the Middle East rising up, lifting their voices, crying out for freedom. 
The human heart, the human heart longs for a Tahrir Square, a liberation square, a place to stand and say, enough is enough. We're moving forward in freedom. I can't predict the future. I don't know how this will unfold, but I sense that we are in the midst of a grassroots, democratic, global uprising that is demanding a new way. A new way for the planet, for our communities, for our own lives, for the world, and for the billions of people in this world who suffer under the current system. More and more people are joining this movement, and it reminds me, it reminds me so deeply of this poem from Marge Piercy. I want you to hear this poem called The Low Road. And this speaks, I think, to what's going on right now. What can they do to you? She writes in her poem, The Low Road. What can they do to you? Whatever they want. They can set you up. They can bust you. They can break your fingers. They can burn your brain with electricity. How can you stop them? Alone, you can fight. You can refuse. You can take what revenge you can but they roll over you. But two people, two people fighting back to back can cut through a mob. Two people can keep each other sane, can give support, conviction, love, hope. Three people are a delegation, a committee, a wedge. With four, you can play bridge. And you can start an organization. With six, you can rent a whole house, eat pie for dinner with no seconds, and hold a fundraising party. A dozen make a demonstration. A hundred fill a hall. A thousand have solidarity and your own newsletter. Ten thousand power and your own paper. A hundred thousand your own media. Ten million your own country. It goes on one at a time. It starts when you care to act. It starts when you do it again after they said no. It starts when you say we and know who you mean and each day you mean one more. We, we the people. There is a peaceful, global uprising afoot. And I believe, I believe that God, that spirit of love, that creative force in the world, that spirit lives and breathes in freedom and in the human heart and is found in freedom unfolding. That is where we find the divine in freedom unfolding. And liberation Here's, that was the big global view. Now we're bringing it down just a little bit. And liberation, in broad terms, is at the heart of what this faith community, what every, I would argue, authentic faith community is about. You've heard John Cummins say it. You've heard Kate Tucker say it. You've heard me say it. Religious community is about the liberation of the human spirit. Let me explain what I mean. At its best, this faith can open us up to the transcendent can help us understand this human condition, what it means 
to be born, to know we're going to die, can help us understand that in new ways. This faith can be like a Tahrir Square, a place of liberation, a place that frees us from our own narrow thinking, that frees us from enslavement to false gods and false rulers in our lives. And let me tell you what I mean by false gods, unless you've conjured up something where there's a Thor or a Zeus or I don't know what, a Jehovah that's, that's pulled, been pulled into your mind. By false gods, I don't necessarily mean a literal God. I simply mean those things we give our hearts to, that we are loyal to, that are not actually worthy of our hearts or of our loyalty. As author Rachel Naomi Remen says, few of us are truly free. Money, fame, power, sexuality, admiration, youth, desire to be perfect. It's any number of false idols or false rulers. Whatever we are attached to will enslave us. And often we serve those things unaware. Many of the things that enslave us will limit our ability to live full and meaningful lives. So this church, this faith, this worship experience every Sunday, the small groups, the classes, what we do here, it can free us, inspire us to new ways of being, to recognize the false gods and rulers in our lives. It can free us for greater compassion and service and purpose. These past few weeks, you've heard me, probably heard me talk a little bit about these stone cutters. And that each of us could imagine ourselves as one of those stone cutters, maybe the third stone cutter, and that our lives and our energy and our money, we bring that to bear as we build this cathedral, this place that is dedicated to the liberation of the human spirit. I want to tell you a bit more about what that means when I talk about this place being dedicated to the liberation of the human spirit. I want to tell you, share with you how I understand the purpose of this church, what we exist in the world to do. It's not complicated. And you probably know this in a really deep level, intuitively. You probably know this already. We exist, our purpose, we exist so that the hurting, the longing, the depressed, the confused. And that is all of us, friends. (laughs) At one time or another, that is all of us. So that the hurting and the longing and the depressed and the confused can find love and hope and forgiveness and guidance and encouragement here. We exist, as Welcome said so poignantly in her reflection, we exist to hold and care for one another. We also exist. Our purpose is also to develop spiritually mature people. People who know their Unitarian Universalist roots, who can jump into the Bible just as easily as any other sacred text, who can do it with an open mind. Spiritually mature people who are grounded in a spiritual practice or discipline, daily prayer or meditation or yoga or deep listening in a small group, spiritually mature people who can help us cross the divides that separate so many of us. 
We exist to develop spiritually mature people who know that life is precious and that what matters most, bottom line, what matters most is the love we give away. We also exist to help people discover their own unique gifts and talents and to share them with this world. And that often can only happen in community. When you're with other people who say, oh my gosh, you are a great song leader. Oh, you are amazing with children. That's your ministry. Or would you consider leading a small group? I see you have that gift, that ministry to share and bless this world with. We exist to help all of us find and discover the unique. And I believe each of us comes into this world with unique gifts and talents to share. And finally, we exist to serve and to bless and even change this world. We exist to stand with those yearning for freedom, for basic human rights, for their voices to be heard. There's a lot more we exist for, of course, but that's the core, the core purposes, what we're called to do. Do we do it perfectly? No, of course not. Do you have a perfect revolution? No, of course not, but you know where you're headed. Freedom square is where you're headed. Do you have a perfect church? No, of course not, but you know where you're headed. You're headed for caring for one another, for developing spiritually mature people, for people who know what their gifts are and can use those in service to the world, a community that stands in solidarity with others. Do you get there perfectly? No, of course not. It reminds me, this idea of do you get there perfectly, it reminds me of this story from Rachel Naomi Remen. She writes, this is about the Concord jet when it was still flying. She writes that that jet, when it first started flying, was grabbing all sorts of media attention, right? Because this jet could make this commute across the Atlantic in like four hours instead of, you know, a day. Flying at like 1,300 miles an hour. So in one of these early flights, they invited a bunch of media to come on to the plane to see it and understand how this all worked. And one of the media came into the cockpit. And he was surprised to see that it wasn't human beings that were driving, that were charting the course of, of the plane, that they didn't actually keep the plane on course. There were actually two computers in the cockpit that were talking back and forth to one another with the course and then readjusting the course and minorly readjusting the course here and they're kind of buzzing and clicking and talking back and forth, reading and correcting and adjusting. And this this person in the media turned to the tour guide and said, what percentage of the time is the plane off course? About 99% of the time, the tour guide replied. And we will land in Paris at 9.03 p.m., said the journalist, sort of marveling at this. Yes, sir, plus or minus 60 seconds. Rachel Naomi Remen goes on to talk about the story. She says this was a story that was told to her. She doesn't know if it's actually true or not. I like to think it is. But her point is that it raises a really interesting thought. What if it's possible for all of us to focus on the purpose we wish to serve, that big picture purpose we wish to serve, the way the Concord focused on its destination? And what if we navigated a trajectory sort of the same way? We know where we're headed, so there's going to be a lot of little adjustments on the way. And she goes on to say, serving anything worthwhile is a commitment to a direction over time and may require us to relinquish 
many moment-to-moment attachments. <laughs> you're wrong. You're off course. No, I'm not. You're wrong. You're off course. No, I'm not. Where are we headed? <laughs> Where are we going? To let go of many moment-to-moment attachments, to let go of pride and approval and recognition and even success. And this is true whether you're parents or researchers or teachers or artists or even a congregation. Serving life, serving life may require a faithfulness to a purpose that lasts over a lifetime. You know where you're headed and there's going to be course corrections. It is less a work of the ego. You're wrong. No, I'm not. You're wrong. No, I'm not. It is less a work of the ego, she says, than a choice of the soul to follow that purpose. And friends, I believe the soul longs for a Tahrir Square. You may take a winding path to get there. You may march and protest in different ways with different people, but you know where you're going. The soul longs for deep purpose and meaning, for a north star to guide its work, for a cathedral to be built. It might take a while. It'll be some course correction, but you know where you're going. It's not perfection that liberates, but commitment to purpose that liberates the human spirit. And in the words of Marge Piercy, it goes on one at a time. It starts when you do it again after they said no. It starts when you say we and know who you mean, and each day you mean one more. May it always be so, and may your soul come alive in this faith community. Amen.